Welcome back to Stream Again, the podcast where we try and fail spectacularly to watch everything on TV and streaming. I am your fifth brother, Chris Barlow, and I am joined across the galaxy, far, far away, by the Grand Inquisitor herself, Diane Nora. Diane, how are you doing? Oh, wow. I thought I was going to be like a lowly 27th sister. This is delightful news. Oh, no. You've got Moxie. Lord Vader sees your Moxie and is ready to offer you the position of Grand Inquisitor of this podcast. Well, now I know that my goal is to hear James Earl Jones say Moxie. (sighs) Moxie. I can't even pretend to do it. (laughs) I can do the the ventilation sounds better than I could ever do James Earl Jones. You've, you're better than I am at both of the sounds. I appreciate that. I appreciate that flattery. But it will get you nowhere on this podcast, where later in this episode, we are going to review Obi-Wan Kenobi, the first four episodes of the series now streaming on Disney+. Plus. We have opinions. You may have opinions, too. Or you may be wondering, Obi-Wan a who? Well, we will tell you later in the episode... But first, we have to get to some uh, very important follow-up, I think. There's a lot of news this week, a lot of follow-up, but one of them, one of them lets me play this sound. That's right, we have Law & Order follow-up, the best kind. Uh, Casting news about season 22, just gonna, again, reiterate, season 22 of that show. I know, it's that dramatic. Uh, Season 21 was on NBC uh, Revival this past uh, spring. We reviewed it, and I can't remember what we said, because... I don't want to right now. And instead, you could listen to the episode yourself. What you need to know is that Anthony Anderson is not coming back for season 22 as Detective Bernard. Uh, too bad, I guess. He, he was returning from uh, the later seasons of the show, which were not good. And uh, his presence was, I guess, a, a rock of stability in a choppy ocean. That's about as generous mm. as, yeah, sure, yeah, you, you, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they had a few returning characters, but also a lot of new folks. So having him as one of the detectives, I'm sure, was somewhat I, of an anchor. Saying they had a few returning characters was an extremely generous characterization. They had one returning character, and then Jack McCoy, who appears in 90 seconds of every episode, and it doesn't look like he ever filmed on the same day as anyone else. I love that. I think that should be the, the future... <laughs> Honestly, the Sam future Waterston of on 90, 90 seconds of every show. I mean, we are just months away from them being able to deep fake Sam Waterston, and then he will be on the show forever, including in season 22, which he has agreed to return to. Uh, so uh, next season, we will get our 90 seconds of Sam Waterston per episode, as is probably contractually obligated, and uh, we will have a new partner for Detective Who's What's It's, who I didn't like. I think that we thought, yeah, no. No, didn't. we didn't. No. no, nope, you're remembering now. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's coming back. You know, Anthony Anderson is also wrapping up Blackish this year. So it makes a lot of sense that he would not want to get tied down into another lengthy network contract. I agree. And he's not uh, just taking a break altogether. As I learned in this Deadline article, he still has a relationship with NBC where he will be uh, producing a show called Anthony Anderson and Mom European Vacation for the E! Network. Wow. Honestly, I read that and I go, he's getting paid to go to Europe with his mom. Good for mom. She's winning. (laughs) 
<laughs> she deserves it, I'm sure. If I could get a job at NBC as an excuse to take my mom to Europe, you know she would be there. Oh, yeah. There would be so much pasta consumed. <laughs> oh, yeah. She would overcome her fear of being on camera in an instant when I said, and we get to go to Paris. Ooh. Well, you know, I'll keep an eye out for that show on the E! Network. On the E! Network? Because we're all watching the E! Network all the time. I'm just slotting into our future show notes now a whole episode on E! Does it have a streaming service? Who watches it? How do you get it? What is E! in the year 2022? Do you think a supercut of Sam Waterston's scenes on Law & Order where that were shot like right in a row out of context would be very satisfying because hmm. he must just be shooting them with a reader you know yeah yeah and, and somebody whose shoulder is wearing the same color suit as hugh dancy i love that they're giving work to so many people as doubles this is Th that wonderful is news. that is the true gift that law and order gives to the new york community that is a fact so i am well as much as i may complain about these new episodes it is truly a gift to have Law & Order back on the air. And that is the most important follow-up of the week. Unfortunately, the show can continue after that, though. So instead, we're going to move on to Disney+. And last episode, we had a really interesting uh, email from a listener about Disney+, Plus in India, where they are the exclusive streaming home for uh, Premier League Cricket. And so I happened to stumble upon an, an article in Variety about this. It is somewhat paywalled. Uh, my link let me in, and now it will not let me read it again. So I hope if you click on the link in the show notes, you will be able to read this article. But if not, here's the gist. Uh, they have in, in uh, India Disney Plus Hotstar. But literally, like, the way they format that, it's like you're getting Disney plus Hotstar. Hotstar is a pre-existing streaming service in uh, many parts of the world, in particular India, that Disney now owns and combined with Disney Plus. So while in America, Disney Plus is just Disney Plus, and then you could also get Hulu, or you could also get ESPN Plus, but those are separate services. In India, it's Disney plus Hotstar, one service that lets them bundle those streaming subscribers into uh, one number. And numbers of streaming subscribers are a big deal in the streaming industry these days. Disney has said they want to have 230 to 260 million global subscribers by September 2024. So uh, that's two years away. And you might wonder, where are they now? Well, right now, they have 87.6 million Disney Plus subscribers in America and 50.1 million Disney Plus Hotstar subscribers in India. Uh, so when you look at that on, on the surface, obviously India, very large country, very large population. However, they are approaching the number of subs in India that they have in the U.S. for Disney Plus, which you kind of think the U.S. is Disney Plus's bread and butter in some ways. Uh, a big attraction for those Indian subscribers? Premier League Cricket. It's huge over there. And that uh, contract, surprise, ends this year, which means Disney will have to uh, bid for it again and pay for it again. And the numbers from Variety, Disney currently pays. These are the kind of numbers where I have to like, mm. Mm, okay, brace myself. <clears throat> Disney pays $423.5 million a year for the Premier League cricket rights in India right now. And uh, the contract is up, and they expect that they will need to pay $847.4 million a year minimum to renew it. Mm. That 
number that really caught my eye there was when you said 230 to 260 million global being the goal. The goal. Um, because I was looking and I was like, that looks like it's just above another number I read recently. And it is uh, that Netflix's international subscribers are 219.7 million for 2021. So I think it makes sense here that what they're trying to do is surpass Netflix, which right now is leading the global markets. Yeah, yeah. In some ways, you might hear 230 and think, well, there's like 9 billion people on Earth. Surely we can get 230 million people to pay for Disney. But like Netflix doesn't have that many globally. And Netflix has the global footprint that a lot of these streamers don't have yet. Right. And has been around doing this longer. So yeah. Yeah, so no word yet on if Disney is definitely going to renew these rights. It seems, uh, in a way, kind of inconceivable that they would let it go because it has been such a huge driver of growth in a market that is growing big time. You know, we talk about the U.S. a lot as being pretty saturated in, in terms of streaming. People now are just swapping services out. But the growth potential in a country like India with over a billion potential customers and a growing mm. um, telecom industry is like huge, huge, especially when you have local content tailored to the market like Premier League and Hotstar. Right. Well, we'll have to keep an eye on that, too, because I think it will show us what Disney's plans are in terms of global growth if they do choose to make that massive, massive investment. Yeah, and it really also begs the question, as we talk about a lot of services like Netflix and uh, coming in a moment, HBO Max, tightening their budgets on new content, seeing Mm -hmm. spend shift to sports in a big way is an interesting question if you're not somebody who loves sports. I guess it's an interesting question if you do love sports, but I'm thinking interesting bad instead of interesting good. And in a way, interesting is just interesting, right? Sure. Yeah. Sure, Um, she says, going, no, no, don't spend that much on cricket? Cricket? I mean, I can't say that I have watched cricket. No. I've seen it in passing. So maybe if I sat down, maybe I just don't know I'm a cricket fan yet. Yeah, it's I, I've seen clips and it makes as much sense as baseball ever will. Oh, no. Wait, no, I understand baseball. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll watch some cricket in a future episode and get back to you on that. Uh, maybe I've just never been watching baseball right. That's also a possibility. Speaking of baseball, I am so excited. This isn't on our show document, but I just saw the trailer for the uh, League of Our Own reboot. And I could not be more excited about that. Darcy Carden, Abby Jacobson. I love them. It's going to be so fun. And I love the original. I have such a nostalgia for it. I've been a bit cynical about so many 90s projects getting rebooted. And then this happened. I was like, oh, they got me. Nope, nope. There's one for everyone. Yep. But there is not one for everyone if you're J.J. Abrams shopping a show to HBO Max. Because in our last piece of follow-up, we last episode talked about Abrams' Demi Monde, uh, a sci-fi epic that HBO Max has been uh, developing for years now at great expense. And now HBO Max is owned by our good, good friends at Wabro Disco. And though they are funky cats, they do not want to spend over $200 million on a season of a show, again, with a terrible name. I just cannot get over Demimonde. It sounds like if you made me come up with what's a joke name for a prestige drama, I would just Mm -hmm. pick a French-sounding word. Demimonde! What's it about? Well, it's about the Demis... 
and the whole monde is involved. It's oh. it's um, Demi Mons like or Dem- Demi Moore's evil French cousin. Yes, mm-hmm. it's one of those meta shows where Demi Moore plays Demi Moore. Uh, very prestige casting of Demi Moore as Demi Moore. It's great. It's great. But she also plays her cousin, Demi Mond. She could have gotten an Emmy. She could have. She could have. And then, well, you know, Wabro Disco doesn't want it. Warner Brothers, now part of Discovery, they aren't interested in spending all that money. And the one piece of information that I found interesting in this article is, uh, you know, what's the scale here? What is $200 million to a company like HBO? And uh, you think, well, sure, they spend money on tons of expensive shows. Game of Thrones, yada, yada. Well, the Game of Thrones prequel in development right now, premiering very soon. And that whole first season costs less than $200 million. So I guess $200 million is a lot of money? If you can get dragons for $200 million, Surely, whatever JJ wants, he could get space dragons. Space (laughs) dragons. You have to get them like their astronaut suits. That's very expensive. All the price of a dragon plus the price of space. That's what you get with JJ Abrams. He is shopping it around apparently to streamers, so we may see it somewhere else. I, you know, you had me at space dragons. You also had me on the Demi Moore like imposter cousin plot. I would watch either of Mm. those shows. So JJ, I, I. Assume that Demi Monde is about Demi Moore and Space Dragons, and if so, I wish you the best. And if it's not about that, I think you have time to to tweak your pitch before you pitch it to Amazon or whoever. Sure. Yeah. Someone will buy it. Yeah. It's JJ. It's JJ. (laughs) You could also go, it's JJ? (laughs) It could be a question of how serious these streamers are about really cutting their budgets. We will find out the answer to that very soon. And uh, that transitions us quite nicely, actually, to a bit of new news. Uh, And this is uh, still on the Wabro Disco beat. Um, You know, the the long history of Warner Brothers uh, involves the Animaniacs uh, being locked in a a water tower for many years. And when they got out, they sold the company to AT&T. And so AT&T owned Warner Brothers for many years. And uh, as one of their many uh, perks of being an AT&T customer, you could get HBO Max uh, as part of your unlimited data plan. Uh, on AT&T. And this actually predates HBO Max. Uh, You previously got like HBO Now or or one of those standalone HBOs. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, that is no more uh, because why would AT&T give that money to uh, Discovery? Uh, Because now that Warner Brothers is uh, merged with Discovery officially, AT&T has uh, revamped their unlimited data plans and removed HBO Max from all of them. Uh, Though, don't worry, if this is how you were getting your HBO Max previously, you will still get it, but you can never change anything about your cell phone plan ever. You need to uh, crystallize it in a chunk of amber to preserve it for the uh, future scientists to find. Yeah, so I guess that this is something that we can expect going forward, too, that companies like AT&T, who have these pre-existing deals, might continue to cut back on these kinds of benefits because why would they help HBO Max? But will people still be locked into their current plans? Like, what if that's part of your budget? Yeah, well, you just don't change your plan then is the answer. It's They're not taking it away from anyone who has it, but if you right. ever change to another plan, they're not offering it. 
Unless apparently you switch to their prepaid service Cricket, because like all all good comparisons, their cheaper prepaid service Cricket includes the ad-supported version of HBO Max, and that still exists for some reason if you go to Cricket. I assume maybe it's just a contract that needs more time to run out. I, I don't think that they're I think really you're probably right. I don't think they're that interested in keeping this up. Um, but I think it also means we'll see a cooling off of the bundling with other companies, potentially. Because, like, yeah, you get HBO Max with AT&T, but Verizon would offer you Disney Plus or Discovery Plus. And I think, like, my guess is that a lot of those uh, telecom services, essentially, are going to say, well, if my competitor doesn't need to offer that, why do I need to offer that? What's in it for me anymore? I wonder if we'll see other services start with those offers the way you can get uh spotify with hulu in some strange right. unholy alliance yeah as those deals are announced we will keep you appraised we're here for the deals 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 but we have more news news and this is news about news so it is news 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 about our favorite news vendor this is cnn I mean, they're not exploding anymore. They're just fine now. CNN uh, has made one of many coming changes, we suspect, under the new leadership of Chris Licht and Discovery. This one, uh, Licht sent a memo informing CNN staff that they would be adding new guidelines, like style guide guidelines, around what qualifies as breaking news, which, as somebody who has grown up in the cable news era, all I have to say is, good luck ending that addiction to the words breaking news. I wish that we could end it. I hope. I give you the best, Chris Licht. You are fighting a good fight. But man, I suspect in six months, we will find out that Joe Biden stepped on a rusty nail and it will be breaking news. It might be more newsworthy than some of the events that I currently get notifications for. Uh, So... You know, that does seem like a move toward integrity in journalism. Uh, Strange for cable news, but Uh um, perhaps. (laughs) Perhaps they will. That's all I got about that. I agree. I'm like, sure, love the idea. Doesn't really make sense with the landscape, as far as I can tell. You do still need ratings, and you need to sell ads, and... All these things that Chris Licht keeps talking about, like toning down the partisanship and uh, making things a little more sane and level-headed, that all sounds great in an alternate universe where that's what people want. Maybe there are enough of us who want it. Well, I would want it if they offered it as a standalone streaming service called CNN Plus, <laughs> but they don't. They just don't. And they never will. So we have to move on uh, to, of course, the, the biggest uh, news segment of this streaming show, the news segment that will never end. Yes, it is time for the Netflockalypse. And as bleak as it gets, keep in mind, it will never end because Netflix... They're here to stay, and uh, they have a lot going on. They're they're tweaking their strategy around movies. We do occasionally watch movies and talk about them on this podcast. Uh, and the, the the Hollywood Reporter had this story, and am I, Diane, am I summarizing it right to say basically Netflix is going to stop acting like Netflix and act more like every other movie studio on the planet by focusing on blockbusters? That seems to be the case. They're moving away from like the mid-tier movies and going straight to the huge budget ones and offering fewer titles, but with hopefully higher standards, bigger budgets. 
Higher standards. That is a hope for Netflix right now. I agree. I agree. Meanwhile, they've renewed Is It Cake? Which is a show where they cut into things to find out, is it cake? See, the difference between a mid-tier movie and Is It Cake? is that Is It Cake costs $5 to produce, and a mid-tier movie has the budget of a movie. I think that's the difference. I think so, too, and I also think that the mid-tier movie is going to get lost in the Netflix shuffle, and Is It Cake is pretty popular. (laughs) Is It Cake is a hit, and if you put something in the top gallery position that just says, Is It Cake? My next question is going to be, Is It? Yeah. Yeah. Surprisingly often, it seems that the answer is yes. You know, you say surprisingly often, but on a show where is it cake is the question, I really would expect cake to frequently be the answer. (laughs) That seems like a fair assumption. It really does. Maybe that's our next episode. Is it cake? Should we review it? You tell us. Email us, podcast at streamageddon.com. We love your feedback. Uh, And you know, I have a little... uh, feedback for us, maybe. Maybe I'm our own feedback segment this week, Diane, because we on this podcast, we've spent quite a bit of time, I don't know, being a little critical of Stranger Things. Maybe this is just my impression as a listener of the show, but it seems like sometimes maybe we don't like Stranger Things. Maybe we think it's a little like, um, you know, done or, or, you know, overhyped. Well, I hear that feedback, uh, listener Chris, and I want to let you know that I already binged all seven episodes of season four, part one of Stranger Things, and I am obsessed. It is so good. I'm so glad. I think that we weren't that hard on Stranger Things because we said it could be good, but we we did say it was. We did say it was quite expensive. And now I see where the money's going, because basically every episode is a mid-tier horror movie. And they don't make mid-tier movies anymore at Netflix, but what they do is spend mid-tier movie money per episode of a hit series. I get it. I get it. You know, we were talking about nostalgia earlier. It seems that Stranger Things plays that well while also doing something new and original and creative. So that's great. I am... a whole season behind. I watched season one and two and thought they were great. Um, and then I just lost steam on you know, my Stranger when, Things journey. I, I will say, I did not rewatch any of season three for this because uh, the episodes are long. I only have so much time in my life. Um, but I, I am more fondly remembering season three through the flashbacks and previously ons that they throw into season four to kind of catch you up on why is, spoiler alert, a character in, spoiler alert, a different country than you would expect them to be. Because, yes, that happened at the end of season three. And uh, and they, they, they kind of sync you back up with that. And it reminded me that, like, season three had a great centerpiece. Season three was basically about the mall. Like, they, they find mm-hmm. such a great way to anchor so much of the show in... Uh, classic teen movie tropes. Like, we remember that it's an homage to 80s horror and 80s, um, you know, 80s movies in general. But we forget that some of those 80s movies that it's an homage to are The Breakfast Club or, like, Sixteen Candles or Ferris Bueller. Like, it's an homage to both sides of that uh, cinematic history. And it it balances that kind of extreme so well. And in a way, it it makes sense because what do those movie genres have in common? Teens. Right. But they thread that needle perfectly. Impressive. I mean, I think that, for me, is going to come up when we talk about today's show. Mm. 
<laughs> and uh, how to appeal to the young folks. So I won't say too much. And also since I haven't seen it, but I do know some teens who are watching it right now and who even binged the early seasons to catch up and watch it because uh, the youth through uh, a little bit of anecdata do seem to be watching. So, um, and Chris. Yeah, the, the youth, youth, the most and youthful, Chris, the most youth, youthful one of them all. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I'll now go back to looking like old man you and McGregor in a few moments. But uh, as we transition to this review, uh, I want to point out an article from Deadline: the, the Stranger Things season four and our review topic this week, Obi Wan mm-hmm. Kenobi. They premiered on the same day. Disney even moved the Obi-Wan premiere to directly compete with Stranger Things. They were originally going to be like two days apart. And uh, there's some interesting data, maybe. Maybe it's interesting around it. Disney and Obi-Wan got more watches on day one where Stranger Things, just focusing on the first episode, because obviously seven episodes of Stranger Things came out, so there's more hours of Stranger Things to watch. But if you just focus on the first episode, more people watched the first episode of season four of Stranger Things over the course of that weekend. That's encouraging in terms of new work. Obviously, Stranger Things is a massive hit, but it is, you know, more original content compared to an Obi-Wan Kenobi where we're dealing with uh, a character from decades ago. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, 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 yeah, an homage is more fresh and original than a prequel sequel. It's a prequel to some things. It's a sequel to other things. Either way, we're all really familiar with who Obi-Wan Kenobi is at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Uh, I, we're going to include the link there. I thought this uh, article was interesting too, because it was Nielsen uh, who traditionally does like TV viewership numbers, trying to come up with ways to objectively measure streaming where so much of the data is kept private by the streamers. Netflix only tells you what Netflix wants to tell you. And so Nielsen kind of derived their own system to decide how, how to judge these two shows side by side. I thought that was cool. Yeah, yeah. And I'm glad we'll have more of this like specific data right now because so much of it has seemed like it's been kept in the dark but you know speaking of the dark the dark side let's talk about this week's show we reviewed obi-wan kenobi very dramatic that is apparently the theme song of Obi-Wan Kenobi, but um, we've watched four episodes, and all I see of the theme song is sand blowing across the screen. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, we should mention, as you said, we've seen four episodes, so this is your official spoiler alert for the first four episodes of Obi-Wan Kenobi on Disney+. Plus. And also, we might get into some content, I think, on the original Star Wars trilogy and the prequel trilogy. I think yeah, we'll have I'm to, like, right? I this mean, is your spoiler alert for episodes one through six of Star Wars. I don't expect us to spoil episodes seven through nine, because who cares? Yeah, I mean, I like those, but I, I don't think I'll need to spoil them. I like some of them. <laughs> That's that's the right answer. Uh-huh. It is. Which is kind of how I feel about the four episodes of this show I watched. Um, 
It's interesting. This is the story of Obi-Wan Kenobi, Ewan McGregor, who is reprising his role as Obi-Wan Kenobi from the prequel trilogy, episodes one, two, and three, where a much younger Ewan McGregor was Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, Here, this uh, series is set 10 years after the events of episode three. So we're still uh, a decent amount of time before uh, Star Wars, the original, Star Wars episode four, A New Hope. We're, We're like a decade at least from that. Uh, in terms of the timeline of the show. Luke Skywalker's still a kid. He's 10. Right. Uh, Leia's 10. Uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi looks 59. Um, Ewan McGregor looks like he's aged 5,000 years, uh, but otherwise looking good, looking good. They've done, they did a great job of making Ewan McGregor look as haggard as Ewan McGregor can look. He does look haggard. He doesn't look like in a decade he'll look like Alec Guinness. <laughs> But listen, the sun, the, all that sun he gets on Tatooine, that's bad for the mm-hmm. skin. He's going to turn into an Alec Guinness in no time. Sure, yeah. sure. I do think, you know, impressive that Ewan McGregor has stayed relevant, talented, and very handsome. Yes, and, and equally impressive that Hayden Christensen is in this show. Because he plays Anakin Skywalker, who is now... Darth Vader and is fully in the Darth Vader costume and as I understand it that is Hayden Christensen in the Darth Vader costume being voiced by James Earl Jones because it's Darth Vader that's who voices Darth Vader but Hayden Christensen is the the body the silent mm-hmm. body inside the suit which is such a what an interesting commitment to make I mean I hope that there uh reimbursing him well I think <laughs> Re- reimbursing him for the bus fare to and from lucasfilm studios <laughs> thanks for coming down we got your bus fare okay hayden thank you so much for making the time <laughs> i think that hayden christensen was treated unfairly after the prequels uh yes they weren't my favorite uh of the star wars and, Installments. and yes, his character somehow got more intolerable than Jar Jar Binks. I just want to underline that. Yeah. Ooh, um, I'm not going to touch Jar Jar today. But I do think that... <laughs> oh, man. But I do think that a lot of the issues in those early movies, in the prequels, was the writing and the directing and not the acting. I think that's fair um, and too. And that he actually, was unfairly yeah. blamed yeah. for some of that. Uh, when you know, watching, I, I've rewatched some of them, and I think that he's giving a fine performance uh, with some work that that needed a lift. Uh huh. Uh huh. And you know who gave a lot of that lift? You and McGregor, which is why yeah. this show, in some ways, makes a lot of sense. I did a little you know, Googling uh, as research for this episode. And uh, the show was originally conceived as a movie. Uh, And you have to remember, not that long ago, like four years ago, Star Wars was on this big movie kick. They were doing not just the new trilogy that was starting up, but they did Rogue One, they did Solo, and then they never made another movie ever again. I'm kidding, they finished the trilogy, but but, um, Solo uh, did not do very well. And there's a lot of... um, uh, reasons why some people blame uh, different things. One thing might just be they had just released a massive trilogy movie and then they under marketed Solo and were surprised that people were like, wait, there's another one so soon? There was also a lot of kerfuffle with the creators of that. Lots of yeah, hands there being were, changed. Yeah. 
Yeah, it didn't really seem like uh, Disney was in it to win it with Solo, but then they took Solo's floppiness as a sign that they should do no more movies, stop the movies, finish the trilogy, and then and then uh, streaming is the future, right, guys? Right, right? And they looked around the boardroom, and everyone was like, yeah, streaming, streaming. And so now we just have an endless um, waterfall, of a Niagara Falls, really, of... Um, Uh, Star Wars shows and just like Niagara Falls there's two sides Niagara Falls has the US side and the Canada side Uh, well in uh, the streaming world of Star Wars shows we have the uh, live action side and we have the animation side and this show is interesting in part uh, because like a couple of the shows it sort of bridges the gap between the two the animation side Uh, of Star Wars has been defined a lot in the last decade by the Clone Wars, which aired on, like, Cartoon Network for a long time before Disney kind of got its streaming act together. Maybe it aired on the Disney Channel. I have to fact-check that for myself. Um, (laughs) The Clone Wars uh, was a huge hit amongst, like, you know, the teenage crowd and the kid crowd, which brought Star Wars some new relevance with the youth that they didn't have. And The Clone Wars is set in this same era between episodes three and episodes four. And so there is some overlap in terms of what's going on story-wise here and the popularity, I guess, of telling a story in this era. Because Now we're going to get to a uh, really dense part of the show notes here where I try to explain all of the Star Wars shows you can watch now or soon. Brace yourself. uh Uh-huh. You think you know how many Star Wars shows there are, and then you Google it, and you go, no. Oh, no. Oh, I've seen that one, and I forgot about it. Um, uh, So the Clone Wars, that ended. It was about the Clone Wars, which are the episode 2-3 era going forward. Did a quick check, and you were right, Cartoon Network. Cartoon Network! I knew it, which sounds crazy to me in a world where Disney owns everything, but there you go. Uh, Well, The Clone Wars ended, and uh, the new animation... show, animated show, that has uh, slotted into the Clone Wars place in terms of kind of tone, audience, and style is The Bad Batch, which airs on Disney+. And uh, The Bad Batch is absolutely set in the exact same era as Obi-Wan Kenobi. It is after the Jedi were all killed. It is more immediately after the Jedi were all killed, where Obi-Wan takes place 10 years later. But it's in that same period between the two movies. And The Bad Batch... Uh, which is in between its first and second seasons right now, it's coming back in the fall, has a lot of thematic similarities to this show, where there is a precocious little girl being protected by uh, gruff men trying to navigate their way in a dark and uncaring universe. But we'll get to that in a moment. That's the current state of, like, animation Star Wars. Live-action Star Wars, we have... The Mandalorian, returning for season three in February of next year. We have The Book of Boba Fett, which ended and is not expected to have a second season. That was supposed to be a miniseries, one and done. We have Andor, a live-action series, which is a prequel to Rogue One, that other movie I mentioned. That is coming to Disney Plus in August, and they just showed us a trailer a couple of weeks ago. Then we have Ahsoka, who is a character from The Clone Wars and other Disney properties, including The Mandalorian. 
Ahsoka, starring Rosario Dawson, that live-action series is in development and is expected to premiere next year. Then we have another show they greenlit called Star Wars Lando, which is about Lando Calrissian, who is friends of Solo from a Star Wars story, the movie that didn't do well, but someone at Disney has gotten over that. They think the problem wasn't the conception of the project. It was movies? Movies are bad. And so we have Star Wars Lando, a show about Lando Calrissian, announced last December that we still know nothing else about. Then they also greenlit a couple more animation projects. One called Tales of the Jedi, which is a darker anthology series set in um, the prequel era. That's streaming fall of 2022. And if you have not seen it, Star Wars Visions, their anime anthology series, which has a season already on Disney Plus and is apparently working on more episodes. That actually, of all the things we just listed, that is the one that I want to end on because Star Wars Visions is so good. And if you have not had a chance to watch these like beautifully animated, anime-inspired uh, Star Wars one-off stories, that is actually a gem in this uh, otherwise truly uh, I'm on the boat going under the waterfall at Niagara Falls, and I am soaked. I am drenched head to toe, to the bone. I, I have caught pneumonia from this ride through the Star Wars Cinematic Universe on Disney+. Plus. Well, I think that part of the reason for this glut of content, and specifically TV content versus movies, might not just be the a relative lack of success of solo, but also seeing what's happening with Marvel and mm. uh, the way that um, those series, um, whether they did super well or whether they did slightly less well, but still found some followers, um, helped boost the movies, uh, upcoming movies when they did premiere um, and the way that they can just keep people hooked. So they're just constantly watching some form of marvel content um i think that what we're seeing right now is sort of a, a marvelization of marvelization uh, Wars. Ooh, no? i like that term i like it no marvelization the one question i would ask is you're you're spot on that disney has figured out that whether or not everyone watches hawkeye the fact that hawkeye is on disney plus reminds people that there's a new marvel movie coming out in the next like six months and they go like oh yeah i'm gonna definitely go see the multiverse of madness uh hmm. sure they have that uh flywheel back and forth between the movies and the streaming shows star wars has just decided it's all streaming shows all the time but what i do think is different and interesting is that they're playing to different generations the animated hmm. shows primarily play to younger audiences the bad batch and the clone wars absolutely play to children but they also have animated shows like Visions that play to, you know, uh, adults who enjoy anime. That's a that's a completely different genre of people than the the audience for The Bad Batch. Uh, although, as someone who's seen both, I'm the overlap. Hi. Uh, but there's also the live action shows that, you know, they play to similar audiences. But I do think there's a little difference where... The Book of Boba Fett was a little more fan service for people who know and love those characters. Uh, the Mandalorian tries to tell a new story to people who aren't that interested, maybe, in the, the in mythology around Star Wars. And Obi-Wan, I, I would say, as we finally get into some opinions about Obi-Wan, um, 
is more of the family-friendly, everybody-can-come-together one. I think everybody can watch The Mandalorian, too, but there is really something about, like, the difference between Grogu, Baby Yoda, uh, and mm. Leia, who is the other main character in uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, is that Leia can talk, and Leia is a classic stand-in for your kid who's watching it with you. Uh, yeah. You know? Which makes it cross-generational. Oh, I think absolutely. And that way, it kind of did make me think of the prequel movies, particularly uh, episode one, uh, because it, you know, you've got this precocious kid at the center of it, um, you know, Anakin in that and Leia in this, who um, is almost obnoxious, but actually kind of charming. Yes, I had a friend describe her as only obnoxious, and I was like, no, no, she is obnoxious and sometimes very funny. Yeah, and I think the kid actor is doing a great job. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, She's being written yeah. to be obnoxious. She's a princess. Right, right. Yes. yes and there is absolutely. absolutely some fan service. Some people are going to hate the idea of imagining a young Leia because Leia is Carrie Fisher. And I get that. Leia is Carrie Fisher. But I think they did mm. something really fun here in in reminding us that before she was a freedom fighter, she was a princess. And she is a princess. She's a badass, cool princess who likes to run away and chase her robot. But she's a princess. That's true. And she's also a social justice-oriented princess. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um. She's... She, they, you know, uh, if if you're listening and haven't watched the episodes yet, the 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 twist that Obi Wan takes in the uh, pilot is that this is not a show about Obi Wan and Luke. This is not what you might expect, which is Obi Wan is on Tatooine, making sure that Luke stays alive and hidden and safe. They hint at that in the first episode, and then I, you know, in what I think is the smartest move of the whole series, they go, "Yeah, that's not interesting because you all know what's going to happen with Obi Wan and Luke in the movie, and we can't." mess that up and so the stakes are gone there not what we're here for instead it's a story about leia being kidnapped and uh, leia's father um united states president jimmy smiths uh comes Mm -hmm. and uh he begs obi-wan to abandon essentially abandon luke be like luke's cool luke's gonna be good here whatever you need to come find my daughter well and the other thing about that too is for fans of uh episode four uh leia reaches out to obi-wan and asks for help so it makes sense that they may have some there it doesn't not make sense yes they and, have and this certainly there was there's the, the the you know internet controversy after the first episode of they've they've retconned it they've changed the history and as a you know somebody who's seen all the movies and seen a lot of the tv content though not all of it um, I, I saw that scene, I saw that twist of Leia being the real subject of the show and went, oh, that's smart. Because, yeah, why did she know to call to him? And there, there is something perfect about, like, yeah, that guy who saved you 15 years ago, what's he doing now? Could he help me out? Like, you know, obviously we don't know how it ends yet. We don't know where they go. But he did have this sense of, sure, it makes sense that she knows him. Not super well. Not like she can call him up today and he'll be there in a heartbeat. But, like, they have a history. And in this show, we get to know that history. Yeah. I I think that so far um, I'm interested in that history. Like, it moves along at an exciting rate. So um, For the most part. 
I would say of the first episodes, the first the first one establishes what the show is going to be to a kind of dreary degree in some ways because we have to meet Obi Wan. Uh, living on Tatooine, trying to be invisible, trying not to get killed because he's a Jedi, and the, the Inquisitors, they are out to kill all the Jedi who were not already killed ten years ago. They are on a, a true manhunt. Um, and he's trying to keep an eye on Luke. And so we see his, like, really boring, dreary life where he, like, goes to a factory and a robot pays him in, like, future coins. And then he uses mm-hmm. the future coins to, like, ride his scooter home with a piece of meat for his, like, monster who eats the meat. And that is his life. And then he watches through sad binoculars as Luke acts precocious and interesting. But that's all we get to see of Luke. Um, and, and so the, the first episode is slow. It spends a lot of time getting us to Leia's missing. Yeah. We gotta get the Leia back. You, man, you gotta come out of retirement. And he's like, no, no, I don't come out of retirement. I I just have this job where I watch the, the boy. And they're like, no, no, no. And, you know, we all know where that's gonna go. And I understand they, like, feel like they have to take us on that journey for him. But, boy... I, when you know, well, as soon as Leia's missing, yes, the whole story is going to be about him and Leia. Like, oh, Mm -hmm. of course. So, like, I I had some feelings in that episode and in the third episode where I was like, cut to the chase. If you're going to go there, just go there. Um, But I overall have found the pace if you put all the episodes back to back, which you can do now that they're all out. But I will say, like, the weekly release schedule for this, I'm not sure how well it's serving it. Given that it's only six episodes, I think dropping all six at once, I would have binged them all. Dropping them week to week, I watched episode one and two back to back because they came out the same week. And episode one was slow, but episode two had a great pace to it. It was like on a fun new planet with like neon and chase sequences. And I was like, yeah, that's that's fun. Episode three came out on its own and was kind of slow and messy. And then I was like a little underwhelmed. And then you were like, we should watch episode four before the episode uh, of this podcast we're recording right now. And I was like, oh, yeah, 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 I should, I should, I should. And episode four was great. I really liked episode four. But I think the weekly release strategy is not doing them any favors. I think it makes sense knowing that that this was conceived as a film. Yes, I mean, it's, really, we're going through the like. It's the... only three hours long. Yes, <laughs> for Star Wars, that's just a little bit over, you know. That's just so, like one point five episodes, right? Hmm. I actually did enjoy. I think I enjoyed episode three more than you, but I watched one, two, and three in one sitting, and then I watched episode four today. So, um, yeah. It, it is interesting how those uh, schedule drops affect the experience of watching a show. You know, I, I've talked a lot about how I like the weekly drop in a lot of ways to pace shows, but it's not right for every show. And especially if your show only has six episodes in the season, you know, like you could do three and three. That would be right. interesting. Give me three on the first week. I get excited. Give me three on the next week. Or do some weird crap like Netflix is doing right now with Stranger Things, where you give me, like, 90% of the season at once, and you get me really excited to watch the final one or two episodes. If they dropped all four episodes at once and then said episodes five and six are going to be weekly drops, I think I would have been more hooked and more excited because now we have the momentum. I wonder if they just feel that they don't have to be as thoughtful about that or if they're trying something. But it could just be that they know 
it's Star Wars, it's Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're going to watch. You're and, going to, and, and a lot of people are. are going to catch up on it later. Like part of it is the library right. play is we want to be sure that whenever you think of canceling Disney Plus, you go like, oh, but I never got to Obi-Wan. Maybe I should watch Obi-Wan before I cancel. And then one of the And then you cancel three other... hours later. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. That's the smart move. That's the smart move. Because again, there's only six episodes and the episodes are only 30 minutes each, which I feel short. I think there's probably good reasons for it. And in some ways, like, you know, when it's done well, a 30-minute episode leaves me wanting more. Episode four is this pretty tight uh, heist episode where they are breaking into the Supreme Inquisitor lair, which is like a a space pyramid in the ocean Mm -hmm. on a water moon, which is one of those Star Wars things where I'm like, yes, sure. Scientifically, is there such a thing as a water moon? Doesn't matter to me. Don't know. Don't care. As soon as someone on Star Wars goes, it's a water moon. And all we know is this one structure is there. You're like, I'm in it. I'm there. We're going to a space pyramid in a giant ocean planet. And uh, they go there to break out Leia. Leia gets abducted by third sister, who has a terrible name, in my opinion, but is played by an amazing actress. Um, And uh, there on the water planet, Leia is trapped where she's going to be tortured for information about the, the, you know, kind of um, uh, budding rebellion that is forming. They call it the path. There's a path Mm. that's trying to save four sensitive people from uh, being killed by the Empire uh, and is helping people who are trying to resist the Empire, and that's going to become the Rebel Alliance, as we see from, like, a crudely uh, carved logo that very much upsets Third Sister. Uh, but uh, the, the the focus of Episode Four being this real clean, 30-minute, in-and-out, we got a saver, the odds are against us, none of us are trained to do this, and we're going to make it happen— was really like classic Star Wars to me. It reminded me of like breaking out of um, the the Death Star, or the Star Destroyer, Star, yeah. yeah, in the in the in uh, A New Hope. Like it, it had all the act movements of like original Star Wars. Where sure it's epic and we're in space, but like the the actual action you're watching is like um, Ocean's Eleven in some ways without the meta, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And I uh, agree that uh, Moses Ingram, who is playing Riva or Third Sister, is it Third, third sister? sister? I'm going to go third with sister Third is, Sister. Mm-hmm. Is, is doing great work. Um, I do think that sometimes the writing for her feels is a little bit... not great. These yeah, Inquisitors, I... she's an Inquisitor, so they have these names, Third Sister, Fifth Brother. They are... Quite culty. They're like, yeah, well, because they're like the Jedis who didn't get killed, the Jedis who went to be, um, you know, compliant with the the uh, Empire. They're the, the Vichy Jedi, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and their job is to hunt down the other Jedi and Force-sensitive people. So they have this weird culty mentality that leans into, like, the woo-woo weirdness of the early Star Star Wars prequel movies that I, I just like don't care about and feels really 
like I you know it just feels like the part of Star Wars that people didn't like people think that what they didn't like about the prequel movies was like Jar Jar Binks and babies but what they really didn't like was like you know midi-chlorians give you the force through like mRNA and I'm like whoa stop stop you're you just went like woo-woo space science on me and I can't take it and the the inquisitors are all like woo-woo space science for lack of a better term I will take issue with the idea that I did not have a problem with Jar Jar Binks because I really do. I really do have a problem with Jar Jar Binks, but I still think um, I couldn't stay away from it. Uh, But I still think that I was very relieved when there's a moment and I think the second or third episode where Leia asks uh, Obi-Wan what it's like to use the force and how it works. (laughs) I just went, oh, no, is he going to say midichlorians? And he didn't. He didn't. He used a lovely metaphor about um, seeing through darkness, which was reminded me much more of like those sequences uh, between Yoda and Luke in the the, um, original trilogy. So I was quite relieved that they were going in that direction. I'm all about the version of the force that's like an ayahuasca spirit quest. I am not mm-hmm. about the version of the Force that's like, well, I wear pale makeup and have a strange, like, electric hat so that I can control my midi-chlorians more. I'm like, no, 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 Please stop right now. There's the guy, fifth brother, I want to say, who looks mm-hmm. kind of like a space samurai and has all mm-hmm. these, like, LED lights on his body. And I just don't want any of that. I do not need that. Well, he also clearly has some rivalry with Third Sister. Yes, and I don't uh, care about it. <laughs> no, well, and they, they're not letting us care about it because the dialogue between them is so petty. It feels like, like an 80s movie in the sense of like, I'm the mean bully at school and I'm going to stick your head in a locker. <laughs> it's like, what is going on? Yes, this it, is honestly, not like, nuanced. Like characters that walked out of Stranger Things. Like Stranger Things season four has these like mean teens who are mean to Eleven in the new town where she lives incognito. Right. And they're the bad girls. And like that is the tone of the Grand Inquisitors who are supposed to be so scary and threatening. And instead, just like I look at them. And truly, if I'm thinking in the world of the show, if I'm thinking in universe for Star Wars, I'm like... Well, Darth Vader is going to kill all of you because you're clowns. You fight amongst each other. You can't get anything done without, like, starting an argument. And y'all look janky. He is just mm. going to walk in in his shiny black helmet and crush your windpipes one by one. Which is what must ultimately happen because there are no Inquisitors by the time we get to the movies. But that's not, like, that's not satisfying to watch. I don't, you know... No, they've also hinted at a, a backstory for Riva that might complicate her character more. Well, she's the um, which... only interesting one that we've met. Right, right. Um, and and Moses Ingram, to your point, is bringing her A-game. Like, you know, uh, Third Sister is an interesting character because there's a fantastic actress making that character interesting. The writing is hinting, like, vaguely at some interesting things, but not giving it to us, no. There is a moment in episode four where uh, third sister is interrogating Leia. And I just want to remind our listeners that Leia is 10. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like this big, like bad cop moment where she's like at a table and she's like, where is the path? And Leia's like, I'm a child. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's that, really so ridiculous. That scene really read to me as like somebody who's watched a lot of Law and Order wrote mm-hmm. this scene and just template matched a Law and Order interrogation to this completely unrealistic parallel. Like I'm like, no, this is not how any of this would go. But at the same time, I will say that parts of this series really did scare me, and I like what they're doing with Darth Vader. <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah. I'm seeing a more of a believable transition between Anakin and Darth Vader than I have in the past. Um, And he is pretty terrifying in episodes three and four for me. Um, There's a pretty graphic moment of violence where one of my friends who's a very big Star Wars fan pointed this out to me that um, he like, uh, he kills a child, uh, which is scary. And we know that obviously, uh, the Empire has blown up like planets before, yeah. so they must have killed children. But I don't think there's another moment in any of the major Star Wars properties where we've seen a child murdered. Yeah. I mean, there, there's, it's, pretty there, it's implied heavily in the execution of all the Jedi, but n- it's not right. graphically shown to you in the way that, like, Darth Vader, like, snaps a child's neck when he's trying to fish, uh, like, uh, flush out Obi-Wan. Yeah. Yeah. It's really scary. Yeah, I, uh, no, I actually think, so, you know, if I had to summarize the show to somebody four episodes in, what I would mm-hmm. say is the the plot of the show is two things, really. It's Obi-Wan versus Vader, which is a classic good and evil pairing that has been in the universe of Star Wars before, but has never had so much time to shine, because it really does lie between the two trilogies, the first, uh, the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy. And they're Mm -hmm. like, well, that's like classic good and evil. And to be honest, I'm like, yeah, that's low-hanging fruit. To to make that the focus of your show is a great idea, because, you know, I I didn't like episode three when they confronted each other that much, because I thought it was kind of sloppily executed. Um, Vader could have easily killed obi-wan at many points during this showdown and instead he like burns him slightly and then when a larger fire gets set vader's like no flames i can't touch flames and i'm like i don't know you just like force you just force smashed his face into flames can you not do that more now that there are more flames i i didn't understand that but but it did not dampen my enthusiasm for their rivalry their uh, conflict being the heart of the show the other heart of the show, I think, is um, uh, how Obi-Wan got his groove back, which is, I don't know, lower stakes in some ways, but fun to watch. Well, I think that the stakes of that still have some merit because part of it for me is it's sort of the Rick Blaine and Casablanca story of like, I've been burned personally, and so I'm not going to stick my neck out for anybody else anymore. I'm going to lay low. I have given up hope of beating evil and then something changes in him and he starts to believe again to me that's that's a strong arc i see that arc they're painting and my big my big asterisk on that would be in the first episode they spent so much time on how boring his life was 
watching mm-hmm. Luke, which is his duty. He had not abandoned his duty. He's like, I don't do Jedi things anymore. I lay low. But at the same time, he's doing the ultimate sacrifice, making sure that Luke stays safe. And he even has a conversation with Luke's uncle, who uh, does not like Obi-Wan Kenobi, we can tell, where he's like, is Luke showing signs of the Force? My training with him must begin when he shows signs of the Force. So I, 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 I absolutely agree with you that this story they're trying to paint is somebody who gave up on his duty and then rediscovers it and gets his groove back, which we see in episode four where he gets all these cool force powers back. And it is great for the episode because it gives Mm -hmm. the episode, that one episode, an amazing arc. But in the overall arc of the story, they kind of started with him in a meh place. He wasn't in a dark place or a low place. He was just in like a meh place where it's like, yeah, you're doing your thing. You're making sure Luke stays safe. And then they're like, will you do this other thing for us? And you're like, I don't know. I'm already doing this thing. And they're like, no, this other thing, Leia, she's really important, please. And he's like, ah, man, but I got a thing. And that's not the same as I've got nothing. I've given up on everything. And now I'm going to rediscover myself, you know? See, I totally, I, th- I think I read it differently, partially because of his interaction with Benny Safdie's character, who is another Jedi who gets caught by the Inquisitors in, in one of the early scenes. Yeah. Um, I think his name was Jura or something. But um, there's a Jedi who is caught on the same planet, and so Obi-Wan is almost caught and could try and intervene to save the Jedi, and he doesn't. So to me, that shows that he's not interested in fighting the empire at this moment but but i hear you that he does also seem uh, dissatisfied perhaps but i think i was reading a lot of heartbreak into it as well i i don't know the heartbreak. maybe i was being I, generous i i, I... At the same time, though, what you say just makes me go, yeah, I'm right. Because, like, he felt bad. He felt sad that that happened and he couldn't do anything about it. But he knew if he did something about it, he would get killed. And then who would watch Luke? I read so much of what he was doing in the pilot as him sacrificing everything about himself to his duty. And... And that feels real Jedi to me. And then it's like, oh, you're a bad Jedi now. You don't have your tricks. You're not good at it. But then he gets that back. And you're like, yeah, because you were always a Jedi all along. You never really stopped being a Jedi. You just stopped thinking of yourself as a Jedi. Which is a story. But I feel like they're trying to make it like like it's more than that. And I'm like, but that's all that you did. That That's it. And that's not nothing. But like embrace that that's what it is then. Or make it a bigger stake that you abandon Luke. Pick what the stake is. Is the stakes that you're abandoning Luke to pursue Leia? Or the stakes that you're, you've abandoned everything and now you're finding it again? It feels like they're trying to have both of those directions. And I'm like, well, they're kind of at cross, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, intentions with each other. I hear you on that. I think, I think that's a really valid criticism. And one of the tricky things about trying to put... <laughs> a major conflict at this point in the plot when I we mean, know so much of what's hard. happened yeah, and so much of what's going to happen. Um, with an actor as strong as Ewan McGregor, I think you can get away with some of this. Um, yes, you can. And with, yes, with can. IP as strong as Star Wars, you know, that... Um, oh, yeah, because, like, yeah, not just you have Ewan McGregor, but you have, you know, Jimmy Smith shows up as uh, Senator Organa, and you have the excellent casting of this young girl named... Vivian Blair as young Leia. She's she's, she's excellent. So 
She and, and, she and you have Moses Ingram, who has some real difficult dialogue to deliver, but doesn't because they're all really good and they know they're in this bigger world that they can draw from. Mm. Uh, but boy, I, I, I don't know. My question as we go into these last two episodes is is kind of twofold. It's one. So is this it? Is are we just watching a three-hour movie? And if so, I do not feel like we're headed to a super satisfying conclusion. And two, is this just season one of of a real series now? And if so, what's the cliffhanger that's going to change Obi Wan? That's going to push him to a new level? Because if all the character arc we got, we we're going to get is the character arc we got from episodes one through four, where he's like kind of dissatisfied at life and now is rediscovered life like that's cute but like that's not real dramatic yeah i i mean i hear you on that i think that part of it will be him engaging a larger resistance movement to pop up um even if it's underground i I mean obviously then that beat would happen again (laughs) once we get to episode four so uh you know that's tricky uh, again, prequels are hard. Um, I do think that the answer of will there be a second season is probably yes. And I don't think that's going to be based on an artistic choice so much as that's going to be based on the fact that it's may have done slightly less good than <laughs> Stranger Things, things which is but a still hit. got a yeah. ton of views. It's still got a ton of views. So I think it might come back. I think you're probably right about that. Uh, I I do want to bring this back for one last moment to The Bad Batch, uh, the animated show I mentioned earlier, still on Disney+. Plus. Um, last I saw coming back in September. Uh, the Bad Batch is about a group of stormtroopers who are genetically wrong. The, the stormtroopers are all supposed to be clones initially. They're clone troopers initially. Uh, and, and there's some that have, uh, let's say, genetic mutations or something, and they're the Bad Batch. And when the Order comes to kill all the Jedi, they don't take the Order. Their programming like doesn't kick in, and they go off and become renegades. They become kind of uh, mercenaries. And they wind up adopting in their stead this young like 10 year old girl very similar to leia on obi-wan kenobi who they then feel obligated to protect because she is being hunted by the uh you know the new empire because she's like a an, another offshoot clone and they're trying to get rid of the clones because now that they've gotten rid of the jedi the next plan is to get rid of the clones uh and so the bad batch set like 10 years before obi-wan kenobi is sort of at its heart the same story as Obi-Wan Kenobi, just with less well-known characters, with new characters they created. And and I found that really interesting because, one, the shows are both running concurrently. Like, you know, they're in between seasons on The Bad Batch, but it's the, the shows both exist at the same time. And structurally, they're doing the same thing. But one is strictly focused on kids. And because of that, like, The Bad Batch doesn't have the... I think doesn't have the burden of having to slot itself really specifically into the nostalgia angle where like Obi-Wan, which is clearly family fair, like it's meant to be this cross-generational programming grandpa and grandchild to watch together and go, I don't understand why this is popular Uh, too far apart. Uh, but the Bad Batch it, it, it tells a smaller story because it doesn't have this weight and I kind of like it better. I'm going to just put it out there. 
I mean, that's a good endorsement. I should check it out. It's I a kid's show. Think... Watch it and keep in mind, it's a kid's show. And at the same time, there's something so freeing about the fact that it's a kid's show. Sure. I mean, I do think that in terms of easy to watch uh, cross-generational fare, Obi-Wan will satisfy a lot of people as much as it may enrage a certain amount of uh, Star Wars fans. And it might not, you know, elevate our knowledge of these characters or the story, but it's just like might be something that's like fun um, to just something enjoyable to watch. I do think sometimes the criticism that Star Wars is doing the same story over and over, to me, I'm perplexed by it because it is, it's space opera. It's supposed to be the same stories over yes. and over. Yes. It's, it's these big archetypal dramas of like, you know, fathers and sons. And to me, that really plays. And I think it works when they lean into that. Not saying that they shouldn't break off into new characters, new planets, uh, new creators, please, please, please. But I still, yeah, I, I don't think that they need to break the formula. I think the no, formula I works. I don't think they need to. I was actually talking to somebody earlier today about uh, Obi-Wan, and, and I describe the show, and I say this with the most love, as like crotchety old man has to deal with young whippersnapper. And that is the plot of no less than three Star Wars movies and mm. no less than three Star Wars shows. Because, like, tell me that Mandalorian isn't about a crotchety old man who has to deal with a young whippersnapper. Tell me that uh, Star Wars Episode One is not about a bunch of crotchety old men who have to deal with a young sure. whippersnapper. Tell me that The 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 Last Jedi is not about a crotchety old man who has to deal with a young whippersnapper. All of them. I mean... That is kind of, too, the love story between Han and Leia. <laughs> it's about a crotchety old man who has to deal with this young whippersnapper who he finds incredibly attractive. That's, that's Star Wars. And, and people, you know, we, we were uh, of the age when episode one came out. And people railed against that at the time because they felt like it's a movie for kids. And I'm like, they were mm. all movies for kids. They were always movies for kids. They were. I mean, they had a... Uh visual sophistication but the storytelling has always been pretty simple yes yes and in some ways maybe the problem with episode one was it was a little too visually sophisticated because we could create <laughs> jar jar binks Ooh. i put that in there for you you're welcome <laughs> or i'm sorry i don't know what i want to know is what do you think's going to happen in the last two episodes of star wars obi-wan kenobi I mean, I think that Leia and Obi-Wan will both survive. <laughs> I have a crazy feeling that you're right. I do think that everyone involved in this version of the early rebellion is going to die. I, I, they're going to have to. They're going to have to. The episode, episode four, ends with a tracking device being put in Leia's adorable robot pet. Uh, mm -hmm. It's like a Neopet, but real. Uh, and uh, they're obviously going to track them to the rebel base and kill all of the rebels. But not Obi-Wan and Leia. That's my guess. Yeah. Um, I think that they're going to give us some more backstory on Reva. Like, Absolutely. I, I think we're going to find out exactly what happened to her. Um, there's been some hinting around it. And I do have one possible thing and it might be way off but uh you actually made a note 
in your show notes that we didn't get to where you said what happened to the other Jedi that they caught like it wasn't clear what had happened to him yeah. and I think that maybe he betrayed some people and is not dead and is going to return uh, I just why would they why would they not show the body it was weird yeah because they're not they're not afraid of showing us that that dead body violence so to speak they're, you know they, they're not uh, shying away from that so it's not to be family friendly no I mean I don't know that may be way off base I just think it would be fun if there's like I, give us some twists I would love a little a little mystery a little heisty action please yes as I've said all night I love this show the most when it is a heist just give me Space Oceans 11 with uh, grizzled Ewan McGregor in the driver's seat and I am there if that's what J.J. Abrams wants to make Demi Mont, we would I, tune in. I would tune <laughs> in. It does need a better name. I suggest Space Oceans 11. Who wouldn't greenlight Space Oceans 11? A monster. So what do you think is going to happen? Oh, I think that they're all all those nice people we met in they're the last gonna episode. They're going to die. All those nice people are going to die. And, uh, you know, that's how we'll know that, oh, a rebellion is forming but is far away and then and then we get like a second season of like you know obi-wan on the run with leia trying to get her back safe but trying to keep it secret because somehow leia has to maintain plausible deniability which is the one detail that they're like not super clear on yet is like how does leia not get outed for knowing obi-wan now that leia's been captured and rescued by obi-wan Right, though they they know her father knew him, but did they know yeah. that she knew him because she didn't know him? You know, I don't. And, they might the, they might be able to sneak around it on a technicality. Right, right. They, that's obviously the, the move in a prequel, but we'll we'll see. Either way, all those people we met are dead. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's unless, okay. Unless, Leia comes from Alderaan, and they're all going to be dead by the time we get to the fourth movie, so. Right. Some light-hearted family fare. Light-hearted family fare on Disney+. Plus. That's the family channel, you know? Where you go mm-hmm. to see children have their necks snapped by Hayden Christensen with the voice of James Earl Jones. That's so just terrifying and disorienting on so many levels. It's AI enhanced too, so <laughs> yeah, even even more, even more of a futuristic nightmare. That's great. That's great. That's great. And you can watch more of those futuristic nightmares in the following series coming soon to Disney Plus. Andor, Ahsoka, Star Wars Lando, The Bad Batch Season 2, Tales of the Jedi, Star Wars Vision Season 2, The Mandalorian Season 3, and what I presume will be another season of Obi-Wan Kenobi. But we will find out soon and tell you about it here on Streamageddon. You can email us podcast at streamageddon.com. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at I am Chris Barlow. Diane is at Diane Nora. Diane with two N's. That is the podcast this week. We'd love to hear from you. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. And remember, may the force be with you. 